I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to a very special episode of Better World in an ongoing partnership with Future Earth. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. So welcome, Max Moynian and Atmos, to the Better World Future Earth collaboration. And so in this weird sort of Plato, Aristotle riddle that I have in my head, it's like, well, we might as well act as if we can solve the hell out of the climate crisis, because regardless of whether or not we can, regardless of whether or not it's too late, it might just produce the same effects. And why wouldn't we try? Jake and Will, welcome to Better World. I'm your guest host, Max Moynian of Future Earth, and we are speaking with the founder and editor-in-chief of Atmos Magazine. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you so much, Max. We're so happy to be here. I'm so happy that we're doing this because I just miss you guys and we haven't caught up in forever. So before we just like, you know, start shooting the shit, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about Atmos? Will, why don't you kick it off? Great. Uh, so my name is Will Duffabaugh, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Atmos. Um, I was connected to Jake, who was our founder, uh, what was it, three years ago now. Um, both of us had a background working more in the fashion space. For me, I got my journalism career start working at uh, magazines like Vogue and GQ and B Magazine. Um and spent a lot of time uh, covering culture. And over the years, as um, the output of that industry was weighing more and more on my shoulders, more of my attention and my reporting started to shift towards um, sustainability and bringing awareness to the climate crisis in that space. And it was very frustrating. felt like I was oftentimes the only person in the room shouting that we needed to care about um, this massive thing. And so often it felt like those cries were falling on deaf ears. And so I was introduced to Jake really when I was kind of, that was reaching a boiling point for me. And he was sharing, you know, similar frustrations and at the same time, bringing a real perspective of excitement and enthusiasm, which was really refreshing to me. And our earliest conversations were about how can we change the way stories are told about the environment? Because I think that's been the biggest question that's been on my mind throughout my career, and especially the last 10 years has been, if this information has been out there for so long, then why has it taken so long for people to connect to it? And I think largely that has to do with the fact that for so many decades, reporting on the climate crisis was really narrowed down to a scientific lens and a scientific focus, which is hugely important. I think at the end of the day, we always want to be directing people back to the science. But at the same time, there's something about that that can feel a little bit cold or uh, inaccessible to people. And so a really big part of our mission in founding Atmos is how do we how do we make stories about the environment also stories about humanity and our very first issue neo natural was really about exploring that question of at what point did we evolve our thinking to have this definition of natural that doesn't include the human species 
And if we are going to shift our attention and our focus and you know our whole worldview, that really has to start with understanding that we're part of this larger whole and that the climate crisis is something that relates to us because ultimately, I have found that people care about an issue when they understand how they are connected to it or they understand that it involves them. So this was even a part of our name. Atmos is, of course, short for atmosphere. And atmosphere is really something that we all literally breathe. It's what we all share. It's the force that connects all of us. And so this was our thinking behind the publication is how we could turn it into a forum for stories and ideas um, that really showcased our connection to the greater whole of nature as a means to bring about change uh, in the climate conversation. Okay. I now know how quickly you turn out your newsletter every week because that literally, like, we could just take that, you know, thank you. That was beautiful. Um, so at most- It's just because you're here. You're my muse, my inspiration. <laughs> Oh, I'm blushing. I'm blushing for sure. I wanted to, okay, so Atmos is this magazine. You guys are on Instagram. This is the fourth issue I have here, Cascade. It's this thick, beautiful, like substantial thing, you know, like that you cherish. And you guys know that I love to rip up these pages and make collages. As, and I actually got two issues of Cascades that I can keep one, one pristine and one a complete just like outpouring of all of my thoughts that are like all perfectly emulated in these pages. So I want to jump to Jake and just like zoom us out and tell us a little bit about you and why you started Atmos. Yeah. I mean, it's been, um, it's been a journey for me in terms of, <clears throat> I think an, an interest that I've had my whole life in brand building. You know, I've always really loved brands and that, that led me initially into the consumer space. And I, uh, had a fashion brand that I was running for four years and left that business. Simon Miller. Simon Miller, um, which we totally greenwashed what we were doing. You know, we were manufacturing in the US and we were using high quality fabrics. And I think at that age, at that time, with the level of information that I had, with the way our PR team pitched us, you know, kind of led us into a world of saying we were a sustainable brand because we were kind of making high quality timeless pieces and using high quality fabrics and making everything domestically. And when I left that business, I realized what bullshit that was. And, you know, a high quality fabric still is made with the same, you know, horrible pesticides and herbicides as, you know, a low quality fabric typically. So left that business and really started on this journey towards, you know, how can whatever I'm creating in the world be, and that gain for the planet. And at the same time, grappling with my, my interest in the consumer space and in the brand space. So I, I went and started a uh, investment fund called Magic Hour, where uh, we invested in, are investing in uh, sustainable consumer brands. So brands that are better for people, better for the planet, incorporate next generation materials. Uh, I think that, I can name a few. You can probably name a few, yeah. Nadam, is that... Not package free shop, package seed, free. Buffy, Buffy, Tushy has had a stellar year during the pandemic. Ooh, of course. So, um, really amazing companies that are moving the needle on sustainability in their in their space. 
and still a huge area, uh, passion area of mine. So that, that was really an opportunity to kind of bridge my interest in brand building and in business and in the consumer space um, with my values around sustainability. Um, and then from there, uh, the next level, the next stage of that journey for me, it was really moving beyond the consumer space and um, figuring out how we can amplify uh, important messages around sustainability uh, and the health of our planet uh, that in a way that doesn't actually require people to buy a product. Um, so we, we do produce a physical magazine and that, that magazine is really our platform to bring in amazing contributors, photographers, enroll people in what we're doing. Uh, and then all of that lives online in a fully accessible way. So, uh, you know, we really see Atmos as an ecosystem uh, to that extent. So you have this magazine that is like, you know, at McNally Jackson, right up next to all of the like 20 to $100 precious fashion and design magazines. And, but then you're also, this is so much a part of your philanthropy, like Atmos itself, you're, you're establishing a nonprofit while you're doing this magazine at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, we applied for our 501c3 status uh, three or four months ago. So pending with the IRS, and we're hoping to get that stamp of approval um, any day. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be really important for us because it really lets the world know what our intentions are as a publication. Our intentions are really around community building, around inspiring positive change for the planet. And uh, being a nonprofit is really going to enable us to do that. And I think being a nonprofit is also going to enable us to um, interact with our contributors and with other change makers in a really unique and positive way. So, like, you know, we've had ideas around how can we actually add to photographers, researchers, writers, where they can really dive deep into a topic and do deep research and really create a, under the umbrella of a nonprofit rather than under the kind of the stress of working for or commissioned by an editorial publication that might have, you know, stricter requirements in terms of their budget planning. Well, I guess people wouldn't, and I wouldn't really um, generally associate a magazine with a nonprofit, but it speaks to the fluidity that we were talking about before, about how, like, on top of a new narrative needed for talking about climate change and um, the stories that we tell and the way that we communicate it and reaching new spaces, we need to like completely rethink activism. And, and because it's so personal with climate change, it's not something you can compartmentalize into like one part of your brain and be like, you know, on Fridays is where I do my activism climate work. Like it's, it's a part of every single piece of your life. And I think that like it even speaks to how we met in the first place. You guys are my first DM friends in real life. No way. Um, I actually think so. I think that we were, did I, did I DM you or did Will? Someone DM me from Atmos account and we met up at Rosencrans, Jake and I. Yep. And then we, Will and I were virtual friends up until just um, like two months ago. I think it was Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Yeah, we, when we hung out in person for the first time, I was like, is it possible this is actually the first time we're meeting yeah. after all these collaborations we've done? and Quarantine friends. 
we uh, have always thought you were so cool and still think you're so cool. And I d definitely remember feeling a little intimidated walking into Rosecrans being like, oh my God, I can't believe Rosecrans. Max, you know, Max wrote back over DM and we're having coffee. So I definitely fanned, fanned out a bit. And now we're just fanning each other. And at the same time, like I've been so much more open to meeting people and have actually made meaningful connections in the DM since then. So it said, it's like, it's, I guess it's like the same thing as going on your first like Tinder date being a really good one, you know, set a good standard. Sure. Well, I think what's also interesting is, you know, to me, what all of all of Jake's work sort of speaks to, and, you know, this is just my observation working with him and alongside him, but, you know, it's all, it's all investing in the future, right? And for me, what was really exciting about Atmos is that, you know, my background is in magazines, which as a whole and as an industry are not really doing very well. I mean, we, we know what's happening with print journalism. It's definitely a struggle. And so, you know, I come from a background of having conversations with, having to have difficult conversations with um, writers and photographers about budgets and, um, you know, it's really refreshing to be able to work with people from a perspective of wanting to invest in their creative talent, because in the same way, investing in a company that has a sustainable ethos is investing in the planet is investing in the future, investing in storytellers who have an ability to really communicate information about what's happening to our world. That's also an investment in our future in just a very different way. It's in an investment in their creativity and in their potential. And so, you know, it's really opened up my mind in terms of what it can really look like or what the role of a magazine really is. Because when you can actually invest in individuals' talent and potentials to tell stories, that's a win for everyone. And part of that is investing in community. And I think that really speaks to you know, again, how we met and how we first, our first project together was that future Earth Day collaboration we did this past year. And, you know, for, for all of us, that was so just exhilarating to see how many people could be involved, how many people we could get involved, and were so excited and willing to jump in. I mean, I think it was what, like 10 days before Earth Day, Max, you messaged us and was like okay I have this crazy idea we have basically no time to do this but what if we just try to get as many people as we can you know to make this sort of statement and that was so that was so rewarding because it shows how many people are wanting to help and just not knowing how and so I think you know something future earth does really well and hope, hopefully something that we try to do or strive to do is to give people that how, how they can help, give people the means. And of course, that, that starts with, with storytelling and, and education. I mean, I'm just thinking about the memories of that shared Dropbox folder with Steph and like how we were just freaking out like little girls every time someone would upload a new video, of someone's Earth Day um, pledge. I think that something that we bonded on then and... Because Earth Day happened in, you know, we thought it was like the worst of the worst of crisis and look at what happened after April. But we were so, we were so sure we wanted to have a positive tone no matter what. 
that we can talk about real issues, we can get deep, and we can still be hopeful. And we can use hope like not as this pillow you can clutch, but as as Rebecca Solnit says, an axe you break down doors with. And I think that kind of tone that we share throughout has has been so refreshing and all the collaborations we've done, um, just looking back, because we want to speak to people that want to help that might necessarily know how. And there's like this importance of not shaming people, of education, of just as easily as you, as you both understand how people in the fashion industry have no idea how complicit they are to the system or are just waking up to it now. Um, but there's still like this, this air of friendliness, honestly, and like, and like believing in education and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, two things for me, I often come back to that idea of not knowing enough, not to be optimistic. I think we have, we just can't know what the future is necessarily going to look like. We can only operate on the information that we have now and the data and the data is telling us to act, but the data also doesn't tell us how the story is going to end. And I also think that, you know, this is something that I've been reflecting on recently is the whole idea of the placebo effect, right? There have been study after study after study that has shown that something does not necessarily have to be real in order for it to have real effects. And so in this weird sort of Plato, Aristotle riddle that I have in my head, it's like, well, we might as well act as if we can solve the hell out of the climate crisis. Because regardless of whether or not we can, regardless of whether or not it's too late, it might just produce the same effects. And why wouldn't we try? Right. And so for me, it's like we can take the approach of we're screwed. It doesn't matter. But that is only going to end in one one place. But if we take the approach of actually believing this is something that we have the ability to tackle within our lifetime, then that at least opens the door to the possibility that we might be able to have an ecologically equitable future. So that that's sort of one thing for me. And the other is just that, you know, taking a quote unquote positive approach, it's really the only approach because, you know, I think Max, you and I have had conversations about this. I know Jake and I have. Shame is the ultimate enemy of growth. It, as soon as we feel shame about something, there have been so many studies on this. I always refer back to Dr. Brene Brown, who is an incredible psychologist. But the minute shame is present, the minute our ability to actually grow disappears. And so when you are just calling people out, and I think that's why it's so nice that there's been this sort of shift towards calling people in this year. But when you're just calling people out and shaming them for their behavior, that's not going to result in any kind of positive change. But if we can actually approach people from this perspective of like, hey, I don't know, I'm not doing everything perfectly. I don't always know what I'm doing, but this is something I've learned. Maybe it will affect what you're doing. Maybe you can implement it. Maybe it will help you grow, which will help me grow. That's how you foster actual positive change on an emotional level, not just, uh, not just on a level of, uh, not just on a practical level, I suppose is what I want to say. I totally agree with that. Like I never want people to think I'm just some annoying lady drinking the Kool-Aid and like, I'm like, it's all good. And we're going to solve the problems. It's just that like, we don't really have a choice. I'm the first person to tell you how dark it can get 
and how, and how emotionally, how much I've had to invest emotionally to take care of myself, just knowing all the things and doing all the things that we all do every day. Um, and it just makes me think that, um, what, what I do more and more every day is like just scratching the itch of whatever I feel I can do. And that's what lets me sleep at night. And I'm just like curious to you guys to make that sound more positive because it got dark for a second. What is it when you're scratching the itch of like, I need to do something lately or just over time? What is it that makes you feel good at the end of the day and that you are having a positive contribution about? I'm going to step back and then bring it, bring it forward. Do it. Um, a few thoughts uh, just on the last conversation. First, well, I really want to acknowledge I know Will is someone who empowers everyone there around and I see it on our team and I see it every week in their newsletters. And so I think like, you know, I really see the positive impact that empowering others has. Um, and uh, in thinking about uh, shame, you know, one lens that I don't do, I don't do this well at all. And it's something that I'm really trying to work on in my life is instead of making people wrong, get curious. You know, that's like advice that I keep getting from uh, kind of a mentor that I really trust. And so instead of like going into a situation and saying, hey, you did this wrong, you said the wrong thing, you didn't do this, whatever it might be, get curious about the person and find out more about them and where they come from and what their thinking is. And, you know, if you can really approach a situation without a right and a wrong and a yes, a yes and a no, it just opens up a world of possibilities. So both of those things came to mind for me. And then in terms of tying that to like what fulfills us or feels good on a daily basis, I think, I don't know that I ever really think Instagram feels that great. Um, <laughs> but to kind of explore a uh, interesting observation that I'm having about it in the context of this conversation is like when we post... Um, Maybe a you know maybe it's a controversial post or it's a post that is coming from a place of alarmism you know which we have which we have done before it often you often see it go viral in the comments right and you create the post creates disagreement so it ends up on the explore page and you get people from varying viewpoints and backgrounds fighting it out nastily in the comments. And then the post continues to kind of build and do well because so many people are engaging with it, but it's coming from a really hateful place. And there's something that just doesn't feel fulfilling and like whole and good about that, even, even though it's like, the, you know, performing well on the algorithm. And I think the flip side of that coin and what does feel really good is when I go into the, um, what is it, the like view current reshares, you know, for a post. And it, typically it's typically it's for like a post that takes a more inspiring bet. And then you click, you know, often this is like for Will's newsletters and you go into the view current reshares and you see, you know, not only the number of people that are sharing that post, but the number of people that are adding on some additional text saying, I got so much from this post or this is what I really need to hear today or make sure you read the whole thing. And like that, those are the moments where I feel like, okay, we're really, you know, contributing something and um, it feels very whole to me. So they're kind of like, I don't know, an observation about social media to two sides of, you know, a coin. And um, 
Well, I have to totally agree on that for future earth. It's the exact same thing for future earth. I love going into the story reshares and seeing how people add on and like their comments. And when I'll add on to what you said about something like terrible going viral, to me, it just always gives me this pit in my stomach because obviously I want to report it and I'm happy that we're bringing attention to something that should be headline news and it's not. But I hate that those are our highest performing posts. It gives me this like pit in my stomach that makes me feel a little sick. And like the, the, the actually had to, I don't know if you guys know about blocking words. Steph just taught me this in the comments. But after the Amazon fires post, we kept getting these clown faces, like so many of the clown emojis. And it was scaring the shit out of me because of that kind of like just spammy kind of bot. Who knows if they're even real fighting going on. So you can block words <laughs> and emojis. I am definitely going, definitely going to write that down. Yes. <laughs> I did not know about that. Yeah, Instagram can be a dark, scary place, but it can also be like the best place to find your like-minded peers all over the world. Yeah, I think this year we've, we have really seen social media step into its sort of highest possible function in terms of like it just becoming this forum for people sharing information and so much of that happened over the summer but i think um you know to answer your question max i think for me the thing i do to like scratch that itch or make me feel like i'm doing my part is to really do exactly that which is my part i think you know in my own journey around um i guess i want to say like mental health in working in climate you know and and work and figuring out what works for me. I think something I identified at some point, you know, in the last few years was that we can't all do everything. And that's just not how things are going to get done. And it's actually just what leads people to feeling completely paralyzed. But rather the the question then is like, what can I bring to this movement? What is my specific thing that I'm good at? Because I'll never be the person who, you know, is um, writing scientific studies. <laughs> that is that is not my place in the world. But I know what my place is. And I know it has to do with storytelling and, and communicating information in a very different way. And I wholeheartedly believe that we all have that thing that we can bring to this movement. And so I think for me, the question... I'm always asking myself is like, okay, well, what can I do about this? Not what is everyone else doing about it? Not how can I solve this problem? Not how can I be the one to save the world? But what is my specific thing? And sometimes, you know, in a given moment, I'm very grateful to have this platform to be able to do that work. But for everyone, you know, sometimes that is sharing information. You know, I think when we were first getting started, and we had you know, when our community was still very small, I remember like even just thinking when we had like 10,000 followers on Instagram or something, I remember thinking, well, each of those 10,000 people have their own following. And that's really how we get change to spread. It's like, you're sharing it with the five people in your zone of influence. Each of them are sharing it with five people. And so there is no, there is no act that is too small or or insignificant. And so I think it 
for me, it's, it's always about that question. I'm Henry Lin, and this episode is brought to you by Everybody and Everyone, a fashion line brought to us by Veronica Chow. Check them out on episode 60 of the Better World podcast and check them out online. They have done with material science what needed to be done for our sustainable future in luxury fashion. Give it a look. And thanks for listening to Better World. So you're bringing your skills in, your specific skills, but then you're also doing the kind of like small changes in your everyday life. You're, you know, you recycle and take down the system and like put your skills forward, whatever that may be. If you're an artist, a writer, a musician, someone that makes really funny memes, list goes on. Um, What are some personal commitments you guys have made to be better stewards of the environment? and some eco tips or some new tricks you learned recently just to switch it over a little bit i feel i have such a hard time answering that question without feeling really cliche you know <laughs> i'm pes- i'm pescatarian and i've gone you know 80 percent vegetarian by this point so i'm like i'm there five days five days out of the week and the other two i have some some seafood and um that's been a journey the past few years for me. I mean, now I can't imagine eating meat. So I just can't even like, I was like, Ugh, what, what was I thinking? Like, it doesn't sound appealing to me at all. I cut, Once you get there, it's totally fine. Yeah. I cut out red meat four years ago and then I cut out pork a year after that. And then I cut out chicken at the start of this year. So it's been like an incremental thing. And, you know, now I'm kind of like, you know, how did I not get there sooner? So I don't know. It feels cliche to say that. And at the same time, I do think it... I do That's think, a big deal. I do think everyone needs to be, you know, have a lot more plants in their diet. So... Um, well, there are many there are many articles about and many voices that say that that is the single greatest commitment that you can make as an individual on average, I guess, across the country, hopefully not across the world. Totally. Um, Cool. Well, well. <laughs> um, I would say my most recent one that I've been tackling has really been around clothing. I made a commitment earlier this year for our future Earth Day project to only be shopping with, um, only shopping secondhand first and foremost, and then you know the exception to that being brands who um, whose practices I could really verify and and trust in, um, and that's definitely been a definitely been a journey. Um, and it's been a lot of education, but I think some of the more exciting parts for me have been the dialogues it has opened up because there have been certain brands who I've come across where I've been like, okay, well, I want to learn actually more about their practices. And, you know, they say that they have this commitment, but it's not necessarily transparent. How can I get that information? And there have been a number of cases where I've just emailed and reached out to people and I've ended up in conversation with the actual designer if it's like a small if it's a small brand and you know they write back and you know they tell me and then we get into a conversation about you know atmos and and practices and and whatnot and it suddenly like set off this light bulb for me of like what it is to actually be in relationship with the people that we're we're in relationship with already we just don't realize and you know commerce is is an exchange. And I think, you know, we, we wrote something about this earlier in the year. I don't remember where it came from, but it was such a paradigm shift for me in understanding that the root of the word economy is eco. 
and that an economy is essentially an ecology in and of itself. And how can we start to think of an economy of relationships? Actually starting to develop some of those relationships with people who I'm supporting, who I'm already in an exchange with, has been super rewarding to me. So that's sort of been one side of it. And the other side of it is just realizing how how much is truly already out there. I mean, if I really decide that I need to get something, there is so much secondhand that's available. And I hadn't really, you know, I have my favorite local vintage shops and secondhand shops and shops in Brooklyn, but like online, it was very much like this year, I'd sort of started to foray into like Poshmark and the real real and things like that. And it's just, there's so much out there that is, that has already been made that people are selling. And, you know, you very quickly start to realize that it's pretty ridiculous that we're making anything new at all. That isn't made from at least made from some of the same materials that are, have already been and uh, used for something else. I have a I have a thriving Depop business running out of my guest bathroom, and my cousin just walked out. My cousin that goes to NYU, she she does fulfillments and product listings, and I love it's it. been great. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious. Touching on that little Vogue thingy that I saw how it's been shopping for clothes in the vintage and the thrift space and like maybe even it being a kind of perk to the binary men's and women's that you see with brands and stuff like that. Yeah, well, it's actually, I think that's another way in which it's very freeing is because I think you just sort of open up a, you open up a world a bit when you're just shopping secondhand. It's like, you don't really know why and who and who for a clothing a piece of clothing was originally designed you know it's just like especially when you're looking at clothes from like other decades and other eras and like you have no idea what the trends were and who the brand is and i think exploring that world allowed me to step outside the binary a lot and i think also just like the way you know not getting too detailed into it but like the way more um secondhand clothing retailers are organized online most of them do sort of function outside of the binary a little bit. It's like you're, you know, if you're searching for like a sweater, it will just bring up a whole variety of options that will, you know, were designed for men or designed for women and they're all just shown up together. It's really more when you get to like marketing new products that things are uh, are much more gendered. But there are a number of brands in the sustainability space that are moving towards a little bit more of a unisex model or unisex aesthetic, like Pengaya comes to mind. All of their clothing is marketed as being uh, degendered. There's there's one called Pansy. They're from LA, organic cotton underwear, naturally dyed, like really great. And I was actually laughing. At, I was having a hard time like figuring out what these cute little shorts look like on me personally because the color that I liked, the photos were all of men. Yeah, I was just like, this is funny. So I haven't, of course, it would be the brands that are doing the best um, environmental practices that are also like forward thinking in the gender space as well. Yeah, because it's about holism, you know, it's how when you really start to look at it, it's like, I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about looking at things more holistically. And when you start to look at things more holistically or intersectionally, then it becomes a lot more difficult to ignore related issues. A hundred percent. I'll throw mine out there because I made you guys do that. I have been trying to be better about, 
because of all the little things I do, the recycling, the composting, the rinsing out the containers and whatever, driving everyone in my family and my partner insane. I've decided to like, sometimes he, he'll just call me out and be like, you're being an environmental fascist. <laughs> and that's the moment that I know that I'm doing the shame thing that we talked about. So trying to take that energy and channel it towards doing my work and doing good. And like whenever I get heated about smaller things in my personal life, because I am so mindful to a paralyzing point sometimes, channeling that energy to, to ranting about it on future earth instead. <laughs> I want to hear as, all, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, you, all, you, you reminded me of a couple other I did start composting, composting this year. And I also got, have gotten into the TerraCycle zero waste boxes, which I love because it's reduced my, like, my trash to almost, almost zero, which is really exciting. But I also feel like it's totally inaccessible from a price point perspective for most people. So it's by no measure uh, a solution. But, um, you know, I've, I, 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 like what, I like what they're doing. Well, we can talk about that for a second. Because it is interesting. I mean, Tom was a guest on Better Worlds. Uh, we had a follow-up session because I had too many questions to ask him, and he was really appreciative of the of the hard-hitting ones. Um, so I think that the critical conversation is welcome. The fact being that a lot of it is really expensive, um, and it's not an option for a lot of people. I will point out that they have partners with brands. So if you buy a lot of like I don't know if this is a thing, but Lay's Chips, for example, Lay's Chips might have a program where they will accept those bags from you for free. My question around that, and this is where we get into like, I don't want to frame it as a criticism, but a question is yeah. like, does that ultimately enable Lay's to put a recycling logo on their bag when 99.99% of them will never be recycled? Yes. So that was my critical question. And the response I got from Tom is that yes, we are basically scapegoating and giving them the right to continue doing exactly what they're doing. And that brought him to his long-term plan, which is that in the world that he wants to see, TerraCycle would eventually be phased out, wouldn't really be a thing anymore, wouldn't need to exist. And so Loop, which is his newer venture, which is all about reusable packaging, is I think where he sees the future. Yeah, and I bought, I bought from Loop, I bought... Um some dog food from Loop from Open Farm, who I like Open Farm is the, in my mind, the best dog food brand for anyone looking for like, you know, uh, humanely raised pet food. But my issue with Loop is that most of it is all of these toxic brands that have these horrible chemicals. So it's like, who's the customer that, you know, cares about recycling so much to use Loop, but then doesn't care about the environment and their health enough to be using Lysol. Okay, so Jake is going to be the next guest host of Better Worlds because I asked that exact question. I should have listened to the podcast. And this just makes our connection <laughs> feel even more real. It's okay. It was a two-part. It was long. I was, I, was just, I was just having the time of my life, to be honest, because I had so many questions. But um, that was touched on. And to, to him, he understands that. And, and I think that... I was the most tripped up that there is a consumer that's willing to buy into this reusable program and even send it back, which he said the rate of people sending it back is actually really high. Um, that people would care that much to do that and they wouldn't care that it's like tied detergent or something like that. And, and uh, I mean, that seems to be the case, which made me think that I really want to do 
now that the election is over, there definitely is more breathing room and space to talk about the personal health issues like chemicals in our homes and all that kind of stuff, especially given COVID. Um, we've talked about pesticides a plenty. I, 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 I think that like, it's been hard to post that kind of stuff lately because it's just been so much, but it's still, it's still so important. And there needs to be space for the personal health conversation too. Um, I was going to jump back as well, talking about tips and kind of just acknowledge one more shift that's happened for, for me this year, but I think it's really happened culturally and kind of globally is, and we'll touch upon it briefly, like a shift away from the individual and towards the collective, you know, when we're talking about like what changes we're making for the environment, I think it's really easy to think about lifestyle changes, you know, what we wear, what we eat, what we, you know, how we recycle. Um, but I think this year has really seen, at least for me, at the start of this year, I'm very entrepreneurial and I definitely carried this like expectation and weight of like, what can I do to solve this problem? What can I do to solve the climate crisis? And I think through the pandemic, through the pandemic, through Black Lives Matter, there's just been a whole shift towards like, how can we support people that are actually doing, that are not, that are already doing the work um, on the ground? And so, and how can we support systemic change at a, at a policy and a government level? Um, so I just think that should be acknowledged as well in terms of like, how can people integrate these values into their lives? It doesn't always have to come back to like lifestyle choice. It also comes back to like, how do you support community? Yeah. And it takes work. Like that is part of doing the work. And I think that um, that's what takes people time to kind of like get to, to, to figure out who is the right person to be supporting with their dollars to understand like how to get started. It's the hardest part. And that's what we, I think we both try so hard and do a really good job at helping people do, showing them the right organizations to join and be a part of and the events and just leaving all of the options out there on the table because you never know which one's going to touch the right person at the right time and like be that LED light bulb moment for them. Yeah. And I think what that really speaks to is and probably the single most rewarding part of working in this movement is is that there isn't really as much of a sense of competition, right? It's like, because we're, we are all working towards the same cause, there's, I think, more of a comfort around saying, hey, I'm not the one to ask about this, or I'm not necessarily the one who's on the front lines doing this work. Here, here they are. Here's how you can support them. And I think that's really inspiring and, and helps build, build that community that we're talking about. I love that. Jake, Will, thank you for being on Better World Podcast. This has been so fun. And I wish we could just like go get a drink now. Totally. Thanks, Max. Thank you for having us. We can get a drink as soon as this pandemic calms down. Yes, a socially distanced, very safe drink.